All right, let's open our Bibles, if you would please, to Matthew chapter 9. And in our study today of Matthew's Gospel, we we come to one of the most hopeful passages that we find in Scripture. Uh, We've spent several weeks looking into a series of miracles that were performed by Jesus right after he preached the Sermon on the Mount. And each of those miracles is, is part of Matthew's systematic approach to attesting the kingship of Jesus Christ. We've discussed Jesus' power over sickness, his power over nature, and his power over demons. And most recently with the paralytic man and with Matthew, we've talked about Jesus' power over sin. And each of those miracles corresponds or makes a a demonstration of some aspect of Christ's coming kingdom. In his coming kingdom, there will be no sickness. Uh, Christ controls nature so that he commands sunshine and rain when it's needed. He also has the power to bind Satan, and he does overrule sin. So all of those aspects of the kingdom of God are very important to us, and we're looking forward to those. But none of them would mean anything to us at all unless we understand what we see in this particular part of Matthew. And that's the power that's demonstrated by Jesus, his power over death. Jesus has the power to raise people from death. And that's very important because we live in a, in a dying world. In this section of the gospel account, there are two types of death that are spoken of, and Jesus has power over both. We find here that there are two daughters that are given life. One of them is given physical life, and then the other one is healed and given spiritual life. And we're going to read about those today. It's going to take three messages for me to get through this and for us to understand it all. So I want you to take the information that you get today, and I want you to store it away, because it's going to be uh, three weeks before I'm actually able to come back and talk about this again. So you, you take your notes and keep that in your mind, and we'll come back to it once again a little bit later. So if you'll please look at Matthew chapter 9 and stand with me for the reading of God's Word. We're looking at verse number 18 today, down through verse number 26. Matthew 9, verse number 18. While he spake these things unto them, behold, there came a certain ruler and worshipped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. And Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood twelve years came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. For she said within herself, If I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. But Jesus turned him about when he saw her, and he said, Daughter, be of good comfort, thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. And when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the minstrels and the people making a noise, he said unto them, Give place, for the maid is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when the people were put forth, he went in and took her by the hand, and the maid arose, and the fame hereof went abroad unto all that land. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the reading of your word today, and we pray, Lord, that you would open up these scriptures to us, open up our hearts to receive the message that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. There are two stories that we find in the passage of Scripture that we just read. These, these are intertwined, and they give us the opportunity to look at two miracles and two different types of death. 
As I mentioned a moment ago, we are living in a world that's dead and dying. You, were, you and I were actually born into this world destined for death. The scriptures teach that we are born dead. I mean, in the spiritual world, we are born dead. And that's because of the relationship that we have with Adam. Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden. And because of that, spiritual death passed to all people. And when Adam sinned, he also began to die physically so that every person that's born afterwards has already been marked for physical death. Now, each of us uh, have a certain inevitability uh, of death built into us. And even though we don't like to think about that and we don't like to deal with it, yet we know that every one of us is going to die. Several weeks ago, one of my favorite people passed away. Uh, A great member of our church, Brother Grant Evans, Uh, passed away on December 1st of last year, and I had the privilege of preaching his memorial service. Uh, That's not a task that I relish. I don't like to deal with death, even when I know that the person who has died has trusted Christ as his Savior, and I have confidence in that. And I know the person has gone home to be with the Lord, yet I really don't want to deal with death. And I don't think that any of you would like to receive calls at night or some other time and Uh, Someone tells you that a loved one has died or that a good friend has passed away. But we all know that death is coming. Uh, Even though we know it, we don't like it uh, staring us in the face. We don't like to hear the phone ring in the dead of night. And And I really don't like that to happen to me because I know too often that it has something to do with death. When the phone rings in the middle of the night, it's usually bad news. And many times someone is telling me that, a member of our church or someone I know has passed away. So I was called very early on the morning of December 1st, and I was told that Brother Grant Evans had passed away. And I went to Memorial Hospital where they had taken them to the emergency room, and I saw Grant. Uh, probably not too many of you have seen a dead body or a person that immediately after they've died, and you may not uh, really know what that's like. But sometimes it is a very difficult scene. There, there are some things that I wouldn't say in a memorial service. If Brother Grant Evans' family was here today, I, I probably wouldn't say what I'm going to tell you right now because I wouldn't want to anguish them any further. But I went into the emergency room and I saw Grant's body, and it was really a terrible sight. Because there are some times when people are dying that they're gasping for that last breath and they may be in pain or they're really struggling to believe. And then they die at that moment and that leaves the face in horrible contortions. And the body is frozen in that state. And it appears to us just by looking at that body that the death was horribly painful. Pauline DeWitt was there on the morning that I went to see Brother Grant, and she could attest to that if she was here today, that that we both wondered about this. Why, Why would they let his wife, Marlene, come in at that moment and to see his body like that? Because that's not the way that you want to remember your loved ones. You don't want that to be the last look that you see. And so that reminds us that death is scary. It is an unknown to us, and we dread it. Even though we're saved, many of us, uh, I hope that you're saved today, and, and you know that death is coming, and yet you dread it because we don't know what that final hour is going to be like. If it was possible that we could just do this, that we could put on our pajamas one night and go to bed and just go to sleep and not know anything about it and then die and wake up in the presence of the Lord, we think that'd be a great way to go. 
But death doesn't always happen that way. In fact, very often it doesn't happen that way. And just let me say this, that if I didn't know that Grant was a Christian, if I didn't know that he was right then home with Christ when I was looking at that body, I would be depressed about it. And I would be shaken by that because uh, I, I don't like to look at that. And I wouldn't want anybody to call me again. You know, I know that I have to do that sometimes. I haven't preached too many funerals of, of people that have died without the Lord, but sometimes that happens. People will call me and say, we need you to do this, and I do that for the sake of the family. But I don't really, I don't really don't like to attend a funeral or even speak at a funeral where a person has died without knowing Christ. And yet there are far more people in the world that die that way, that die without him, than die with him. Every day, the newspapers are filled with obituaries of people that have passed away. And sometimes I'll read those, and I'm looking for signs. I don't read obituaries very often, but sometimes I do. And I'm looking for signs about whether that person was a Christian. And so I may look at where the services were held. I might look at the person who's, who's speaking at the services. But I find out that very often that there's no reference at all to the person being a Christian, no reference at all that this person knew Christ. And so I just assume naturally that here is another person that's gone out into eternity. They don't know about Christ, and now they're suffering the, the terrible pangs of the awful death in a horrible place called hell. And we don't like to think about that, but it's a reality. The Bible teaches us that people are born spiritually dead. They are headed for physical death, first of all. And then there's that reality that if they don't know Christ, that there's eternal separation from God. And that's what that kind of death is. Physical death is the separation of the soul from the body. Spiritual death is the separation of the soul from God while we're in this life. And eternal death is the separation of both the body and the soul from God forever. And that's what makes the story that we're reading here so compelling because both types of death are dealt with here. And because Jesus is the righteous king from heaven, and because he controls both physical and spiritual death, because he has conquered death and he saves us from spiritual death, we have hope. And that hope is available for every person, no matter who they are, and all people desperately need both of these types of re resurrection, a resurrection from, from spiritual death into spiritual life and one of the body later on where it goes into the presence of God. So we have these intertwining stories. We have a man here with a daughter who is dying. And then before we get to the end of the reading, there's a separate, completely different person that's thrust into the story, and Jesus had to deal with both of them. He was headed to heal a dying girl, and he was interrupted by a dying woman. And the delay caused a greater miracle to happen because while he was delayed dealing with one, this young girl died. And then Jesus performed a greater miracle. He didn't just heal a little girl that was sick, but he raised her from the dead. And one of them was the young daughter of a man, and then the other one became a new daughter of God through her faith. Now, before we start this, I'd like you to turn to the Gospel of John chapter 5. And I want you to keep this in your mind up front, that Jesus deals with two different types of death. He raises people from spiritual death, and he will raise dead bodies of his people into eternal life. And so in the Gospel of John, chapter 5, Jesus addresses both of these. And if you'll look at verses 25 through 29 is where we'll read. John, chapter 5, verse number uh, 25 
Jesus says, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Now those verses we can apply to spiritual death. The spiritually dead, those that are born in sin, those that have no hope in God, will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They'll hear that good news. They'll be raised into spiritual life so they can repent of their sins. They can put their faith in Christ. And so spiritually, they will live. They're born again into a new relationship with Christ. And then Jesus goes on to say in verse number 28, Marvel not at this. For the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good under the resurrection of life and they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. So here he speaks about raising the physically dead. Those that have been previously raised into spiritual life, these would be the ones that have trusted Christ as Savior. They will be raised at a particular time. They're raised to new life to go home to be with God. But those that don't know Christ, they're also going to be raised. They'll be raised at a later time, but they are raised to eternal damnation. And folks, that is what must be avoided. And that's why we truly do need to tell people about Christ. We want them to be raised to eternal life so that when their time comes to die, that we won't go to their funerals and we won't stand by their bedsides when they have died and we won't go to their graves without the full confidence that they know Christ as Savior and they've gone home to be with him. Now, I hope you see how that these different stories that we've read about in Matthew have given us the opportunity to have teaching areas. Because interspersed between all of these miracles, Jesus has an area of teaching. And he's taught us here that the sick are not going to be healed unless they come to Christ. Those that have trusted him will become his followers. We've learned that. They won't miss the boat as those two men did in chapter 8. Those that have been healed of sin will become evangelistic. They will desire the salvation of others. And we see that with those four men in the beginning of chapter 9, the full story there of how the paralytic man was healed, four friends that brought their friend to Jesus. And then if you'll just glance down at the end of chapter 9, you'll find Jesus there speaking of evangelism. And it it tells us there that the Lord needs laborers in his harvest. He needs people to give others the gospel. But all of it starts with this. Jesus has the power to raise people from spiritual death and physical death. And his kingdom is one where death is conquered. There is no dying. There is no death in the righteous kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I know that's been a long, long introduction to this passage today, but I think it's very important for us to understand this. We don't just want to skim over this and go into another part without understanding all the implications of this story. This is a compelling teaching vehicle, and that's what these, these stories about Jesus are. They teach us something about him. So we'll start here today with the man who had a daughter that was dying. And this is, this is a man that we'll call the affectionate father. He was the affectionate father. 
Now, as usual, uh, the gospel writers give us different details when they relate these stories, depending upon the viewpoint of, of, uh, of what this particular person is trying to convey. The authors of the New Testament gospels will give us different details about the story. And often, those details will differ just a little bit. And that's not because there's an error in the Word of God, but it's because when you see something and you tell a story, you may look at it from a different angle than I do when I tell the story. So Matthew records here in verse number 18 that the man said, My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay your hand upon her, and she shall live. Matthew's purpose is to deal specifically with the fact that Jesus is able to raise this girl from the dead, and thereby he proves Christ's power over death. But when we read the very same story in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, we find there that the girl was not yet dead. Not yet dead when this man came to Jesus. His daughter was sick. He knew that she was going to die. There was no doubt that she would die. And so that It's probably why Matthew records it in the way that he does. So the man's daughter is very sick. And what he had actually done was that he left her at the very moment of death. All hope was gone. She's going to die. And so he went to seek out Jesus. Now, the man was an affectionate father. And let's think about that for just a moment. You know, I've never never lost a child. And I don't know that I could fully identify with anyone who has. I can't even imagine losing a child. You know, I've feared for that at times. At times I've, I've, I've thought about what it would be like, but I put those kind of thoughts quickly out of my head. I really don't want to think about those kinds of things. Today when our children get sick, we're almost always sure that there's a cure for them. There are diseases that children get today that just a hundred years ago they would most certainly die. Now, today we have modern medicines, we we have vaccines that we give to children, we have good doctors. And so when a child gets sick, we really, really don't think about that child dying. But that wasn't the case with people in the first century. The methods were very crude. Uh, People saw death often. And there were many, many children that got sick with no hope of recovery, and they died. A little bit later, as we look at the other daughter that we're going to talk about uh, in, the, in the next messages, uh, this was a woman that had been to doctors for 12 years, and they couldn't do anything with her. They couldn't heal her. And so many times, children would get these diseases, and they would die. And people faced death often in that time. But that never softened the blow. I mean, these are people that cared for their children every bit as much as we care for our children today. And just the fact that there are a lot of people dying and death is a common occurrence for children doesn't mean that they accepted it or or it lessened the blow any. So here you have a man whose daughter is dying. Uh, People aren't used to this. Uh, she's, She's sick, and this man is helpless to do anything about it. And so we notice then his anguish over his daughter. And how great was that anguish? Well, I can tell you that it caused him to put his pride away. It caused him to put away his prejudices. It caused him to uh, put himself in a place of ridicule and separation from all of his friends, and it could even have caused him to lose his position. Now, we notice in the Scripture it says, While he spake these things unto him, behold, there came a certain ruler and worshipped him. While he spake these things. Well, what things? What was Jesus doing? What what was he talking about? Who was he talking to? Well, last week we looked at that. He was speaking to the disciples of John. 
there were some disciples of John that allied themselves with the Pharisees, and they were, uh, uh, Jesus was telling them that that old Pharisaical system that they refused to give up was of absolutely no spiritual value. And what Jesus was doing as he was speaking to those guys, he was dealing another one of those crushing blows to that self-righteous religious system. And while he's doing that, here comes a man who is a part of that system. In the Gospel of Mark, we learn that the man's name is Jairus, and he was a ruler in a synagogue. At that time, the synagogues were ruled by elders, and according to Luke, as he records the story, he tells us that this man was a chief among the elders that were in the synagogue. So he's a part of that pharisaical system. And these elders were the spiritual leaders of the people. It was their job to line up the ones who would come to the synagogues, and they would read from the Torah. They would line up the ones who would say the prayers, and the ones who would explain the scriptures, And so this man was a very powerful man in the synagogue at Capernaum. He was the chief elder in the synagogue. And so he was a part of that religious elite, the ones that were always opposed to Jesus. And I can see him time after time gritting his teeth, uh, knowing the notoriety that Jesus received. And the synagogue there in Capernaum is not more than just a two- or three-minute walk from Peter's house And that's where Jesus had been speaking. That's where he performed miracles. Thousands of people were coming to hear him. It's where he healed that paralytic man. And the roof was torn off, and that man was let down into the presence of Jesus, and Jesus healed him. He spoke with the authority of God. He claimed to be God. And he told the man, your sins are forgiven. And you don't think the chief ruler of the synagogue knew that? Here's this guy over here. Thousands of people are going to hear him wherever he goes. People are being healed. And it's just two or three minutes away from where he is. You don't think he knows that? And so I'm sure that he was aghast at all the claims that Jesus made, that he was able to forgive sins. That meant that he said that he was God. And there were far more people going to hear Jesus than were going to the synagogues. But here this man's daughter is very sick. She's at the point of death, and he is a father after all. He is a loving, affectionate father. And when something like that hits you, nothing else matters. When a child gets sick, nothing else matters to you. You're ready to give up everything to help that child. There are mothers that that give up food in order to feed starving children. Fathers that work their fingers to the bone because they want to take care of their children. You know what that's like. We want to make sure our children are provided for, and you do that because you love them. You have affection for them, and an affectionate parent will do anything for a child that's sick. And that's what this man did. He loved the child so much that he swallowed his pride. He rejected his friends that were in the synagogue. He endangered the position that he was in because his child is what mattered most. So what was it that drove the man to Jesus? Well, it was the desperation. Death is lingering at the door. Medicine doesn't do any good. That that ancient medicine is a sham. So what do you do? I mean, what, what do you do about this? Well, you grasp for anything that you can. And the proof that there was help available for him was right before his eyes. Diseases were being obliterated in Israel. Everywhere that Jesus went, people were being healed. You know, I think that's what drives a lot of people to faith healers. They get so desperate, there's nothing else that they can do, and so they grasp at any straw that they can. And faith healers prey on that desperation. 
and they bleed people dry from their money, and they offer them things that they can't really give. Not one time has any of them ever produced a verifiable miracle. But that's not Jesus. Every miracle was verifiable. Not one, but there were thousands of them. Now, if you look down in verse 35 of this chapter, it says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Every sickness and every disease. And you notice here where Jesus did many of the miracles? He did them right on the steps of the synagogue. The religious leaders are fuming inside. And Jairus was one of those guys. But here he is in a desperate position. And all the proof that he needs is right there before his eyes. And so he went to see Jesus. Now next then we would notice the appeal to Jesus. Let me read this to you from the book of Mark. Mark chapter 5, verse 22 says, And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed and she may live. He fell at his feet. He besought him greatly. And Matthew says that he worshipped him. And so he appealed to Jesus. He says, my little daughter is lying at the point of death. I pray, would you come and would you lay your hands on her? And if you'll just lay your hands on her, she'll be healed and she shall live. So here we have this hardened, self-righteous ruler who's now discovered that he has no hope but Jesus. And so in, in one great awakening of helplessness, shaken to the core and facing the death of this precious child, he's broken by it. And so humbly, he comes to Jesus to ask for his help. And so he fell at his feet and he worshipped him. Now, do you know what that means? He worshipped him? It means that he now sees Jesus as more than a carpenter. He now sees him as more than a man. He's more than what he thought he was, that, that blasphemer who claimed that he was God. He was more than a critic of his own religious system. He came and he worshipped Jesus. And that means that he acknowledged him as God and he put his full confidence in him. Now, folks, I hope that you understand this, that that is exactly what saving faith is. Saving faith is when you come to the end of all of your resources and you realize that you are hopelessly lost in your sins and you can do nothing to help yourself. And it's when you've repented of your evil ways and when you've rejected every hindrance, all of your old friends, your position, your pride, your prejudice against God, and you come and you fall humbly at the feet of Jesus and you ask him to help you. It's when you have all of your confidence in him and him alone. And let me remind you of this. It's not faith for faith's sake. It's not like, well, you just got to believe, man. If you just have faith, everything's going to be copacetic. You're cool. You can, you can just chill out. No, faith has to have an object. If your faith doesn't have an object, it's no good. And this man had faith in a person. The object was Jesus Christ. His faith was in him because he knew that Jesus could heal his daughter. And you see how truly remarkable his faith was? Up to this point, we don't have any record at all that Jesus had ever raised anybody from the dead. And some might say, well, sure, he can heal people. And he had, he'd healed thousands of people, but raised someone from the dead? Who ever heard of such a thing? 
Nobody can raise somebody from the dead. This man hadn't seen it, but he believed it. And that's another indication that he now recognized Jesus as his Lord and his God. And this is so marvelous because of the quarter from which it came. Because if there was any person who would have had the most trouble and had been most stubbornly resistant to any admission of Christ's lordship, it would be this man. Here's a man who's never going to admit that Christ is the Messiah. He can't be the king of Israel. But now he's in trouble. And now he comes and he bends low and he believes it. And he believes that Jesus has the faith to heal his daughter and even raise her from the dead if necessary. Now that brings me, thirdly today, to the availability of Jesus. You know, if there was ever anyone that Jesus was disposed to reject, who do you think that it would be? If Jesus was going to spitefully turn some away, someone away, who would it be? Well, you couldn't pick a better candidate than this guy. He was stubborn. He was a member of the Jewish elite. He stood with those who had called Jesus a blasphemer. He was jealous of Jesus' fame. And he wasn't holding that position in in the synagogue because he had early on jumped on the Jesus bandwagon and was following Jesus around and declaring him to be a prophet. He wouldn't have done that. He he would have been gone from that position in a heartbeat, uh, his position as an elder in the synagogue. If he favored Jesus' teachings and supported him, he'd be gone. And so if Jesus was going to turn anybody away, it would be this man. And maybe in some ways, his faith wasn't even yet complete. Because here you have a man that that had to be beaten down. He, He had to come to complete desperation to admit anything about Christ. Now, maybe his heart had already been softened up a little bit because he couldn't deny all the miracles that were done. But he hadn't stepped out to become a proponent of Jesus' teachings. And so, when he came, the motive was not completely pure. He had a need that forced him there. And that militates against Jesus' help. I mean, Jesus knows everybody's thoughts. He he knows why you're here. He knows what you're thinking. He knows the purity of your faith. He knows every motive of your heart. But Jesus also knew something else. This man was hurting. Despite everything else there was about him, this man was hurting. Now, let's go over to the Gospel of Luke chapter 4 for just a moment. Jesus taught in the synagogues. Sometimes he had to give rebukes because that's what preachers do. But there were other times that words fell from his mouth with sweetness. And there was compassion in his voice. There was gentleness in his expressions. Now here in this passage, we find Jesus in the synagogue and he's reading from the prophet Isaiah. And he's reading what the prophets said about his character. If you'll look at Luke 4 verse 17... It says, And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bare him witness and wondered at the gracious words 
which proceeded out of his mouth. Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. And who was more brokenhearted than this man? I mean, what, what parent is not brokenhearted when your child is sick and is about to die? And do you see what Jesus does? He steps beyond that, that personal, expected, expected personal animosity. And as the song says, he looked beyond the fault and he sees the need. And so this man had a glimmer of faith. It wasn't yet pure faith. It wasn't completely developed faith. It wasn't unmotivated faith. And that's because his daughter was dying. I mean, he, he just had enough faith. Do you know what that tells me? It tells me that Jesus takes a little faith, and he causes that to grow. In one place of Scripture, it says, if you have faith as the grain of a mustard seed, and Jesus is able to take that kind of faith, and when he pours his compassion out on it, it begins to blossom into a tree of faith that's unshakable. And that's what he did with this man. He took that small faith and he multiplied it. And in the end of the story, we'll find out that the man's daughter was raised from the dead. And how much faith do you think the man had then? Now, folks, here's what I want to leave you with today from this part of the story. You might be hurting. And it's surprising sometimes to find out that people that have smiles on their faces are really hurting deep down inside. You might have some sin that's going on in your life and, and you're uncomfortable with that and, and you don't know how to get rid of it. And you may wonder, can Jesus really help me with this? Will he take me? Is he too angry to do anything with me? And the answer is found in this part of the story. It doesn't matter what you've done. And it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter how great a sinner that you are. Jesus has compassion. And we've already seen that with Matthew. He, he was the guy that in others people, other people's eyes was the worst sinner possible. Everybody looked at Matthew as being the very worst. But you know who might have been the worst in Jesus' eyes? It might have been this man. It might have been this self-righteous, hypocritical Pharisee who was guilty of keeping people out of the kingdom of God by the things that he taught. This might be the man that was most despicable, if you want to look at it that way, in Jesus' eyes. But Jesus went with him. Jesus had compassion upon him. And so this man came, and Jesus didn't shove him aside. There were plenty of other people that needed help. There are other needs there. There are other people that aren't as obstinate as this man. And he's only got so much time. So why deal with this particular person? But the Scripture says the man came to Jesus with the appeal. And what did he do? Verse 19 says, And Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. So he went. He wasn't too busy. He wasn't vindictive because of the man's past. Jesus had plenty of things to do, but he laid it all aside, and he arose. And the Bible says... He followed him. And you have to be impressed with Jesus' availability. The scripture says he came to heal and to bind up the brokenhearted. And no one was more brokenhearted than this old hard-hearted Pharisee. Jesus knows how to soften a hard heart. A sick child can soften a hard heart. You know, sometimes I think that we ought to pray that God would send sickness into people's lives. Don't pray that, that God will prosper your lost relatives. 
Don't pray for financial success and for their good health. Now, that might seem callous to you at first, but pray that God will send something into their lives to soften them up. Pray that God will send them some sort of desperation so they have to come seeking Christ's help. Because if they leave this life poor and sick, that's nothing compared to leaving this life without Christ as the Savior. Still being dead in sins is a terrible way to leave this life. Now, you might think that I'm too hard when I say this, but friend, are you desperate enough to see your family saved that you're willing to see them in desperation so they will be? Sometimes God may need to send some sickness into people's lives, some hardship into their lives to break them down to where they realize they don't have anybody to depend on but Christ. Pray that God would send some desperation so that people will receive Christ in him alone as their help. Now, I'm not worried about that because I know that Christ is going to heal all sicknesses later. He raises people from the dead. So I'm not worried about what he does in this life. I don't want to see people die without him. I don't want to see my loved ones die without him. And neither should you. And so if it takes some desperation, ask God to send that into their lives. Now, here is the message. Christ has power over death. He rules over spiritual death and over physical death. And we're going to see more of it when the story continues. Now, I want to ask you today, would you trust him? Would you, would you worship him? Are you desperate enough to come to him? You know, who, who could be more desperate than a soul that's on his way to hell? And who can be more compassionate than a Savior who's willing to keep you from going there? Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take your yoke upon me, upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. What a great message is in those verses. Are you desperate enough to come to Jesus? If you know where you're going when you die, and if that's not heaven, you need to be desperate enough to come to him now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look in your word today. And Lord, I just pray that you would open up someone's heart to the gospel today. I pray, Lord, that you would put that desperation in their heart to realize there is no help but in you. And then, Lord, for people here today that are saved, as we're getting ready to start start up the outreach program and get everyone involved, are there enough of your people that are desperate enough to see people say that they'll want to be a part of this? Is the ball game more important than this? Is other things that we do more important than this? People are dying without you. And I pray, Lord, that you lay it upon our hearts to reach those people with your gospel. Bless as we sing today. Turn our hearts toward you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.